Holy Gospel is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. This will serve as the basis for our meditation this morning. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was lacking clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or lacking clothes and clothe you? When do we see you naked or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Amen, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you did not give me food to eat. I was thirsty and you did not give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Lacking clothes, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in, per- and in prison, and you did not take care of me. Then they will all also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or lacking clothes or sick or in prison and did not serve you? At that time, he will answer them, Amen, I tell you, just as you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are some days that you can't wait to experience. Kids mention a couple of them, a birthday, or Christmas, or or New Year's. Maybe it's Easter Sunday, maybe it's a wedding day. Maybe it's the day your child or grandchild is born, or great-grandchild. But there's also some days that we dread. You know, the first day at a new school, the first day back after a long break, the day a loved one goes off to school, or perhaps a day when that loved one moves out of the house on their own, or maybe the day of a loved one's funeral, or maybe something more like tax day, or Mondays, or maybe Black Friday was a day you dreaded, I don't know, moving day, the day when, or maybe it's the day when Christ will come to judge all people. Among all those days, there is one day that we both long to see and a day we dread to see, the last day. That last day fills us with dread because we still carry around inside each of us a sinful nature that corrupts us and makes us nothing more than, as Luther used to describe himself, makes us a sack of maggots. Yet the last day also fills us with joyful and eager hope Because we and all the saints, made holy in the blood of Jesus, will finally see him with our own eyes. We will be with him forever. Now today we mark the last Sunday of the Christian year and our focus turns towards that last day. We need to get ready for that day so that we're not caught off guard because what a day it will be. You know, it was a week of lasts for Jesus He was in the final week of his earthly life. Uh, uh, By the end of that week, in in just a matter of a couple of days, his disciple Judas would would betray him to his enemies. 
The religious leaders would have Jesus arrested and condemned. The Roman government would have him crucified. Jesus would give up his life on the cross and his dead body would be placed inside of a tomb. But not yet. Instead, Jesus and his disciples, they walked through the vast courts of the temple complex that dominated Jerusalem's skyline. And the disciples were kind of like tourists. They're seeing this and they go, Wow, look at the pillars, they're so tall. And look at the vast, the huge stones that make up this building. And they were so, so amazed by these, these, these glorious buildings that, that they pointed it out to Jesus. Lord, Lord, look, look at this. This is so impressive. This is so beautiful. And then Jesus took some air out of their balloon by saying, in a matter of time, not a single one of those stones would be standing on another judgment would come for Jerusalem. But then that, that got Jesus' disciples thinking not so much about Jerusalem, but about his return. The disciples knew that Jesus was, the, was God. They, they knew he was the Messiah, and, and they started asking Jesus about when he would come again and, and when he would come to judge the world. And they asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? They knew their Bibles. They knew their Old Testaments. They knew the Messiah would come in glory to judge the living and the dead. But how would he do that? When would he do that? Jesus pointed out all kinds of signs that would remind them, whether that's natural disasters or wars and rumors of wars, or whether that's the hearts of many growing cold and persecution increasing for those who remain faithful to the Lord. But he also reminded them that they, as they and every generation after them until Christ returns would see those signs and be reminded it's getting closer to that time when he's coming back. Only God himself knows when that last day will be. The fact is he wanted them to be ready. And because they don't know when the last day is going to come, he wanted them and wants us to be prepared for his return. And so he talked about that day. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Think of it like the ultimate courtroom scene, except this time it's not just one person on trial or a couple people on trial or even a gang of people on trial. You have, instead, you have all nations of all time everywhere, all the living, all the dead, gathering before Christ the holy judge. Christ will come in glory with the hosts of heaven gathered around his throne. And before us, Christ will sit not as the lowly babe of Bethlehem, not as the suffering servant or the crucified lamb of God, but rather as the holy God, the king of kings, the judge of all in all his splendor. Christ will appear in glory. And in one sense, it will be terrifying. Why? Along with everyone else, we too will stand before the judge. And by the way, we're sinners. Unlike earthly judges, this judge knows all things. He knows the thoughts we think, the words we say. He knows our secrets. He knows our public sins. And plus, he's also, he is all-powerful. He is all-present everywhere. There's not some place he's not. He's absolutely holy, perfectly just, and to top it all off, he wrote the law himself. God has set the the bar of required obedience at his perfection. You have to be, if you're going to try to get yourself into heaven on your own, you have to 
you have to be as perfect as God. Every thought, every word, every action has to be 100% perfect or you face eternal death in hell. With such glorious holiness, Jesus will judge every soul, living and dead. Death will not be an escape for, for anyone from his judgment. Immediately upon his return, he will divide all people into two groups. In one group, God will reveal those who are righteous. In the other, God will reveal the wicked. But what's the standard? Are the righteous those people who have been so good in their life that God just has to let them into his heaven? Are, are the wicked those really bad people who deserve hell? How will Christ judge us on the last day? Now it's tempting to read what Jesus has to say here and think that the righteous are the good people. And you might think that Jesus lets anyone who is good into his heaven because of what they've done and how they've lived and he condemns all the bad people, whatever that means, to hell. But that's not the case. Listen to what Jesus says. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was lacking clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Now the righteous reply to the king, going, Wait a second, when did we do this for you, Lord? But this is how Jesus answers. Amen, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And the righteous will go to eternal life. So will Christ reward the righteous with heaven for what they've done? No. You see, Jesus welcomes the righteous into heaven because he has made us righteous. Jesus is the one who alone makes us right with God. That's what the word means right with God. Through Jesus, we are blessed by his Father, not because of our works. In fact, we go back a couple of verses here, where we receive blessing and inheritance from the Father before Jesus speaks a single word about what we've done or failed to do. The eternal inheritance of heaven was ours by his grace before creation, before we could even attempt to do a good work. Instead, our lives, instead, they... They reflect our God-given, Christ-earned righteousness. We daily do what is right as we carry out our ordinary God-given callings. You love your spouse or your significant other. You be a friend to your brother or sister. You, you uh, do your best work at your job. You provide for your children or grandchildren. You help your customers or employees. You help a neighbor with a project. You listen to a friend who's hurting or you go and visit them. You encourage or work alongside your fellow members of, of our King of Kings family. You faithfully do your homework. You share the good news of Jesus with someone. You care for someone in need. And the list goes on. But it's all so ordinary. It's what we do every day. Why would God commend something so ordinary? Well, Jesus has made us righteous, which enables us to serve him by serving the neighbor he places before us, whomever that might be. By speaking of our works, Jesus lays out the evidence of the faith his Holy Spirit has planted in your heart through hearing the gospel. And so we faithfully carry out those callings for the sake of others and out of thanks to God. And God views our daily, ordinary service as service to him made holy by Christ. So then, by his grace, on the last day, Jesus will gladly welcome us home, not because we've been so righteous, 
but commending what has shown what he placed in our hearts already because he has made us righteous. Yet not so for the wicked. To those who reject him or ignore him, Jesus will say, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. And then Jesus is going to present evidence to prove his judgment is just. For I was hungry, and you did not give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you did not give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Lacking clothes, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not take care of me. Now those who do not follow Jesus, they're going to object as they desperately try to recall all the good things that they thought they did during their lives, and yet Christ will reply, Amen, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Apart from faith in Christ and his forgiveness, even the kindest act is ruined with the rod of sin. Civil or polite or neighborly or even philanthropic acts are nothing more than filthy rags before God if they do not come from hearts motivated by Christ's love. Maybe they come from a sense of duty. Maybe they come from an idea that this is the right thing to do. Maybe they come from a desire for the common good or a desire to benefit the community. Or as often is the case, maybe they come from selfish reasons. They don't flow from faith in Christ. And God's word tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. But sadly on that last day, unbelievers will go off to eternal and unceasing punishment in hell. Yes, Christ Jesus will come in terrifying holy glory. But as we heard in the hymn, remember that the judge is also our Savior. The judge is the Son of Man who once came in mercy as a tiny infant born in a Bethlehem stable. The judge is the humble king riding a donkey into Jerusalem not to sit on a throne but to give his life for a world of un undeserving sinners. The judge is the suffering servant traveling to the cross to be lifted up for your sins and mine. The judge is the good shepherd who judges all mankind, who knows every one of his sheep by name, including you and me, who searches high and low for his lost sheep and who ultimately gave his life for the sheep. The judge is the son of man who reconciled us with God. Jesus lived up to that impossibly high standard of God's holy law and carried out God's impossibly high demand of one sacrifice for all. Why? So God would not count our sins against us. Our righteous judge is now our defense lawyer. As the Apostle Paul explains, Christ Jesus who died and more than that was raised to life is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. Our righteous judge is also our Savior from all that can condemn us. On the last day, Christ will separate the righteous from the wicked. We will all face his judgment, which does terrify our sinful natures. Yet that also fills us with eager hope, because on that day, we will be with Jesus forever. With believers of every age, we long for the return of the Savior, who promised, yes, I am coming soon, and we are 2,000 years closer to that last day than when he first spoke those words. Our salvation is drawing near. So what will you do until then? Until then in this time in between. You get ready for the end. 
You faithfully and daily carry out all your holy, God-given callings, no matter how ordinary they might seem. You urgently take the good news of Jesus to others, even as you long for his coming again. You never know. The Lord may use you to plant that seed or put that pebble in their shoe that could make an eternal difference in their life. So they are with you in the glories of heaven. What do we do in this time in between? We live for Christ until by grace he gives us life with him in the glories of heaven forever. What a day that will be. Amen.